0: Anyway, there about, oh, I don't know, maybe it's about 10 years ago now, I was in a Rwandese service. I knew that Rwanda was a country that had experienced a terrible, terrible genocide. And this was, I believe, the 10th anniversary of that genocide. And what we were seeing during the service was, the healing that comes from being able to draw on the strength and encouragement that God gives in the midst of adversity. It's amazing how often we want to blame the Lord for the terrible things that we do to one another. It's crazy. But what I saw there was just amazing. And so they are rebuilding their culture and they're rebuilding their culture among other places in downtown Toronto. And so I was in this meeting and uh, during the the service, they had a group of four women in traditional Rwandese dress, lovely, long, long, uh, I guess you might call them sari type of things with their head uh, like turbans and so on all matching, and then they began to sway and move to a beautiful gospel song in their native language. And before I knew it, everybody was popping up all around. The chairs were being swept off of the floor in order to make room for everybody to be swaying and dancing. And Jared, I was sitting there, not knowing what to do, because it does not come naturally to me. Now, it so happened that the leader of the women's chorus that led the music could have played on the offensive line of any team in the NFL or CFL. (laughs) And so she comes to me, because now I am the only chair, (laughs) and sitting on the only chair, and she she grabs me by the arm and says dance. <laughs> and there's no question about me rising. <laughs> uh, it does not come natural to some of us, partly because of culture, uh, partly because some sometimes, you know, get certain age, your bones kind of creak a little bit and that kind of thing. But it is a wonderful thing to be in a place where there is the music and the worship of the Lord that extends very naturally to the body as well. It is a beautiful thing. I wish I could do it, but that's not me, guys. But God loves us anyway, doesn't he? And so this morning, we are focusing on the fact that we have a wonderful privilege of being Canadians. And sometimes we struggle because we don't like everything that's happening in Canada. And we wonder, is our nation going to the dogs or worse, right? And it is easy for us to get down in the mouth, as the expression is, and to lose perspective. This is part of the uh, theme that I've been developing over several successive Sundays. I will build my church. And so here we are. And we're looking at a scripture that is found in Psalm 72, verse 8. And there is this wonderful verse, He shall have dominion from sea to sea. Now your particular translation may not say it, but if you're reading from the King James, the authorized version, you will see it because this phrase was actually drawn from this verse. And so Canada was established as a dominion. In 1867. And the motto is, from sea to sea. So we want to focus on that. And yes, friends, it feels like we are in the best of times and the worst of times. And some of you may recognize this as the opening words from A Tale of Two Cities, not The Cat in the Hat. Although, thing one and thing two did not create very nice things. Anyway, and uh, let's understand that that is the nature of the way in which history has developed and will continue to develop. It was easy for those who were immediately present for the coming of Jesus, who said that the kingdom of God is at hand, to lose sight of the reality of what would unfold that it wasn't all suddenly going to be all perfect. And so the Lord Jesus taught in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, or the wheat and the tares, as we sometimes call it, the reality that both the wheat and the weeds will grow up together. And as they grow up together, we see that as good increases, so does evil seem to prosper. And isn't that the reality that we experience? We know that our lives are, in fact, in so many ways, so much better than our grandparents. Isn't that a reality? But we are also concerned because we are seeing other ways in which the rot seems to be setting in. So don't be surprised. This is all part of God's plan. He does not like to see the evil prosper, but it is part of the way he plans to unfold things in this period in which the reign of Jesus has begun, but is not complete. And in this parable, he tells us very clearly that the good seed is not the word of God, that's the previous parable, but that the good seed are the sons or the heirs of the kingdom, We are the good seed. I mentioned this last Sunday. And that means that we are the ones to be making a difference in our culture. We are the ones who are to be making a difference in our culture. Let me say, by you coming this morning, participating in worship, you are making a difference. You are a witness. By praying, you are also making a difference. We don't stop there, but that's at least an indication. I want to draw your attention to a book by Rodney Stark, The Triumph of Christianity. Now, it is unpopular to talk about the triumph of Christianity, but it doesn't change the facts. The facts are that the rea- uh, is the reality that Christianity has had a tremendous impact, not only in the West, that is, in Europe and the Americas, but increasingly is having an impact in so many places. Now, not all of it is good, but that's also because not everything lines up with the way of Jesus. But in this particular book, Rodney Stark, who is a social historian, and the reason I'm basing this on the work of a social historian is because we are speaking to people who do not respect the authority of the Bible. True? Okay, and so he says there are four factors that he as a social historian has noted about the nature of Christianity that makes it such a powerful force for change. And let's understand we've done some of the work and looked at some of the statistics of how indeed the movement of Jesus continues to grow and to prosper. It is not diminishing. And so he talks about the message, the scriptures, pluralism, and the link to uh, modernity. First of all, the message. The nature of the message is life-giving. Let me tell you, there is no other holy book like this. Nothing else. So in dealing with, with some of my Muslim friends I turn to the scriptures, I turn to the Psalms, I turn to the words of Jesus to give them hope because there are words of hope and encouragement. And you see, and in Islam, there is a recognition that God is the author of the Injil, the Gospel, and of the Torah, the books of Moses, the Old Testament. They don't read them, but it's remarkable the strength and the comfort that comes from them, the message of Jesus' is life-giving. There is a place of forgiveness. You don't have to work so hard in order to be good enough to get to heaven. And the reality is that most of us are honest enough to know that we ain't going to make it on our own steam. The second thing is the Scriptures. The Scriptures are unlike anything else that you will find. They are full of the true stories, the real lives of ordinary men and women who meet God. And the difference that God makes in people's lives. The difference that God gives to a young girl by the name of Esther who happens to have been conscripted in order to be one of the... uh, Brides or possible brides of the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time in that area. And yet, seeing her faith and her courage, the story of a shepherd boy named David who becomes the king of Israel. And on and on it goes. They are powerful. They are captivating. They give us guidance for our lives. And so that's, friends, why we read why we tell the stories over and over and over again. The third thing that Stark recognizes is the mission drive that there is in this uh, faith, in those who follow Jesus, that it is endlessly creative, it is energetic, in fact, it is competitive. There is a bit of an edge, isn't there? And we recognize that when there is a movement that begins to flag, what does God do? He raises up a new movement. And we are part of that. We see that over and over again. So yes, there are churches that are dying and closing. But what does God do? He raises up new churches that are once again focused on the living presence of Jesus. And then modernity. The foundations of modernity are in the gospel, and we'll illustrate this a little more a little bit later. But let's understand that the good things that we consider to be part of modern life arise directly out of Christian values, out of biblical values, biblical perspectives on the world. The idea that the world is not controlled by this God and that God who are in competition, who do their own thing. How can you do science when you believe that the sun racing across the sky every day is actually Apollo and his chariot? What do you do with that? As an engineer, how do you figure that one out? <laughs> uh, you don't try. Okay? Okay. So we experience this in the realities of modern-day culture. So our culture is profoundly Christian in ways that it doesn't recognize anymore. The roots of it. This is where we see the strength of Western culture. We'll come back to that in a little bit, but you'll remember at this point. Now, there's a fifth factor that Rodney Stark, as a social historian, does not recognize. I don't know where he stands in relationship to the Lord. But here's the reality. The Lord Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And as we have seen, that is the reality from a mere handful 2,000 years ago to some 2.3 billion people and growing. So we are doing a VBS theme that is kind of African-based. Well, let me tell you that what you see in Africa is the most amazing thing is men and women find their hope in Jesus. I mentioned the Rwandese community, now based here. But let me tell you, in a place where they have so few material benefits, their sense of hope, their joy in living comes directly out of The gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. And if we have lost our ardor, our passion, it's our mistake. And let's get it back. And that's up to what you and I do individually first, right? Now, so here's a link to modernity. This is a leading Chinese economist. Now, we think of China as communist. It is. And anti-Christian, it is on one level, but listen to this quotation. It is found in Rodney Stark's book, The Triumph of Christianity. The Triumph of Christianity. In the past 20 years, we have realized that the heart of your culture, that is, Western culture, is your religion, Christianity. That is why the West is so powerful. We don't have any doubt about this. And Stark adds... Neither do I doubt it. And they actually kind of take a, a, an ambivalent stance towards believers. Now, there are apparently, depending on who is counting, maybe 250 million Chinese believers. Did you hear that? And it is growing. Why? Why? for the same reasons that we find our hope and our courage and the foundation for life here. And they recognize that the kinds of things that they want to see in their citizens actually are directly related to what they learn and absorb and grow into as they follow Jesus. There is no question that the gospel continues to make a tremendous impact on the world. So let's talk about Canada. And uh, you recognize the coat of arms? Yeah, and there are two kind of mythological creatures on one side. Uh, Who has horses on their farm? Nobody? Okay. Oh, someone does right over there. Actually, this past week, as I was driving by the local public school in Elmira, uh, I saw the crossing guard helping several children across and a pony that was no higher than the grade one and two kids. <laughs> I thought, well, that, that's an interesting thing to take to school. But but the coat of arms, and you'll see there in the representation... Uh, the British and the French, you'll also see uh, England, Ireland, and Scotland represented as well, the three Maple leaves and underneath, can you all read that? Amari, uske, admari, who remembers their Latin? Remember agricola, agricolae, the farmer, amo, amari, amatum, remember the conjugation of the verb to love, you remember those? No, some of you don't. Some of those have no idea what I'm saying. All right. But here's the motto, and it is from sea to sea. And those British bureaucrats probably had no idea of what they were actually saying, but here are prophetic words. Here are significant words on our country. And sometimes we look at our country and say, oh, the best years are behind us. Only if we have decided that in our own minds. There is no reason to think that the best years are behind us or that things have gone irrevocably in the wrong direction. So we're going to spend a little time in Psalm 72, which is a messianic psalm. It speaks about the King of God. And don't worry, we're not going to spend a lot of time We're going to fly through this because I suspect that you'll want to go and have your Canada Day celebrations and gatherings. But here's verse 1 and 2 out of Psalm 72. Endow the king with justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. He will judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. Justice is one of the characteristics of the reign of Jesus. And he does bring justice. Every place where the teachings of Scripture have found foundation, they have made a tremendous difference. I'll give you some uh, very brief examples, but in the case of India, this goes to the very roots, the foundations of their uh, educational system, legal system, and medical system as it does in ours. Some of you will know about the practice of sati. You know what that is? No? Well, if you are a wife, you will be glad to hear that we do not practice sati. Because you see, if your husband died, you get to be thrown on the funeral pyre. You get to be thrown in the fire and burned. Burned. And it is directly the work of those who knew Jesus. In fact, missionaries were in the very forefront. Now, the British administration were not appreciative of missionaries that came in to upset the Indian cultural patterns, you see? So in fact, for a long time, they tried to keep the missionaries out. And uh, nevertheless, William Carey, who was in a Danish colony had an impact on those who would become the administrators, the bureaucrats in the British administration, because the British ruled India for some 200 years. And that was during the time in which we see the eradication or the end of sati. Now, it is still apparently practiced in some places, but it is against the law. Human trafficking, the impulse against human trafficking, A little bit later, I'll mention that uh, slavery is abolished, except understand that there are about a billion people who are being traded in our time every year. Human trafficking, slavery, if you want, is actually right up there. And maybe in some ways worse than it has ever been. And let's understand that, again, this is a case of the weeds, the tares growing up even as we see the good things that are actually rooted in biblical justice principles. The end of the gladiatorial games. And they may be popular in movies. They may be popular in video games. But let me tell you, who would want to live in a culture in which you, you uh, regaled, you uh, rejoiced, you found pleasure in seeing the slaughter of people and of animals? And this is directly attributable to the fact that the Roman culture was being changed because more and more men and women were coming to Jesus and they were saying, this is not right. They were changing the moral culture, the conscience of the empire. These are a few examples. We're going to leap ahead now a little bit, talking about slavery. The quotation at the top is from Sir William Wilberforce, and I'll say a little bit more about him in a minute. And he said, we are too young to realize that certain things are impossible, so we will do them anyway. And I have that quotation here because it is easy for us to say, oh, we can't change anything about the direction that our country is going. Not so. Don't give up slavery in the christian west had received the salt and light of the gospel and began to die out and more and more preaching against the slavery against slavery with the decline of the roman empire and a thousand years be- before slavery died out in europe 500 years later slavery revived with the discovery of the new world we need workers but they did this in the face of the clear teaching that they were receiving from the church. Strong opposition. In fact, missionaries were uh, not welcome, persona non grata, in the New World because they were preaching against slavery. 1833 is the beginning of the modern abolition movement again. And so I flipped to Sir William Wilberforce. He was the leader of the abolition of slavery movement in Britain. And let's understand, in this time, Britain was indeed a world power uh, unrivaled. In 1787, he began to campaign in the British Parliament against slavery. And let's understand how deeply entrenched slavery was. It was thought... If we don't have slaves, then our economies will collapse. He was relentless. He was a born-again believer in Jesus. He was not popular. But he would again and again bring up this topic of the inhumanity, the injustice of slavery. And in 1807, look how many years that is, 1787 to 1807. Can you do the math? It took that long before there was the Slave Trade Act, which partially corrected the situation. And then the Abolition Act of 1833, and you know then what happened subsequently in the United States. There was a civil war because of resistance to the abolition of slavery. So understand how long it has taken to correct this injustice, and understand that even though it seemed to have been wiped away, it came back again. And as I've indicated, it is still ongoing, but under a new heading, human trafficking. So what's the message here? The message is don't give up because you've lost a particular battle. You say, well... In 40 years, this is what we've seen. Well, friends, think longer term. Think 100 years. Think 200 years. If the Lord should tarry, think 500 years. And continue to militate to make a difference. And when I say militate, I mean being active, praying, living righteously, supporting those who are advancing true justice. Don't give up. Don't give up. It is so easy for us to say, oh, we are the remnant. Poor us. Let's huddle together for warmth. No, understand what God is doing worldwide. And let's get involved in what God intends to do in turning our country increasingly towards the truth. So I come to the second section. His reign is without end. The Lord Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, you know what happens, right? Almost like a miracle. It just continues to grow and grow and grow. And that is the nature of the Movement of followers of Jesus. His reign is without end. I came to the Lord in the 60s. And some of you may remember what the religious climate was in those days. That was when the new curriculum, so-called, was making a real impact in the United Church and in the Convention Baptist churches when there were newspaper articles that it is the end of Christianity, the end of the church. John Lennon, you know him? Who said that we're more popular than Jesus. You remember that? And I ask you, where's John Lennon? And where's Jesus? Where are all the greats of history? We have Hitler and his thousand-year reign. Where's Hitler? He's gone. What about all the other tyrants of history? All the other greats of history, they are gone. But who continues to be proclaimed as Lord and King? Jesus. So let's be encouraged, friends. There are no amens today. Oh, there's one or two. Oh, praise the Lord. I thought you were all dead. So we don't have enough time here, but listen. Listen. There is tons and tons of stuff to encourage us. And then verses 8 to 11, His reign extends to the ends of the earth. And this is truer now than ever. In the 1960s, you may recall that there was this supposedly moratorium on missions. You remember that? Well, guess what? Some of us decided... We're not for that. Jesus isn't for that. And missions continues to grow and make an impact on more and more people. Understand that in our time, seven out of eight Christians live where Christianity is the majority. Think about that. Now, if you want a little more background on that, I'll give it to you. But let me tell you, the kingdom of Jesus is extending to the ends of the earth. The Bible's been translated into over 3,000 languages, at least a portion. This is astonishing. And we read the promise of Jesus. The gospel shall be preached in all the world, and then the end shall come. We are in the business of doing that, amen? And that's why we look beyond ourselves, beyond Jerusalem and Judea, to Samaria and the ends of the earth. Now, verses 12 to 14, His reign is full of compassion, for He will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. And we know who is in the forefront of making a difference for Jesus in every place. Here, in war-torn areas, in the Syrian war. You know who's ministering there? It's followers of Jesus. Not because these are people who believe the same thing that they do, but because the love of Christ compels us to make a difference. And we have the promise here that finally, one day, there is coming the time when he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Can anybody say amen to that? I can say amen to that. For the old order of things has passed away. And friends, today, this day in Canada, as we celebrate another anniversary of our nation, we are part of the unfolding plan of God. We are part of the unfolding plan of God. And so we come to the end of the psalm. You can see this is a pretty quick ride. It is. His reign is endless in blessing. All nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. And you'll know that this echoes the promise that was made to Abraham. How long ago? 4,000 years ago. All nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. The time is yet to come when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But let's understand that so many of the things that we attribute to humanitarianism has as its bedrock biblical values. The salt and light of the teaching of Jesus. So, God keep our land glorious and free. Amen? Amen? but let's not worship our nation. Thank God for the blessings of a nation that has been deeply influenced by the gospel. And remind people the root of this good fruit. And don't despair at the rot. The last chapter has not been written. His kingdom keeps coming like the waves of the sea. And you've all been there by the seashore, or by the lakeshore, and you know how the waves are relentless. And through the tides of history, that's exactly what we've seen. Every time that Jesus has been written off, he comes back and back and back. And we are part of that. And how do we do it? We bless our land. We live like Jesus. We live for Jesus and in the power of the Spirit. And guess what? We are winning. And we are blessing and making a difference. So this weekend, enjoy your weekend. And don't leave Jesus out. God bless you. Thank you, O Lord, for loving us. Thank you, O Lord, for keeping your promise to us. You said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We thank you for the prophetic words of Psalm 72. Who could have imagined 3,000 years ago when these words were written by David? How this could be possible. And yet, we are living in that day. He will have dominion from sea to sea and to the ends of the earth. Thank you, O Lord, for embracing us. And we want to pray specifically for those who are yet outside of your dominion and kingdom, that even now you would be pleased to be drawing them to yourself, and that we would be faithful in representing you in all your beauty, in all your love, in all your grace, Thank you, O Lord, that we have experienced it. And we experience it so more deeply when we give ourselves to advancing your cause. We think of great figures like Sir William Wilberforce, who stood against this tide, who stood against the establishment and made a difference. And Lord, you've given us that privilege. And we know that the weapons of our warfare has nothing to do with bombs and bullets. It has to do with the quality of the power of your life in us, for we are the good seed to be sown in the world. Bless these, your people, O Lord, we who are gathered here today, and the many like us. And indeed, O Lord, we want to think particularly of those in places like Indonesia and India and Saudi Arabia and other places where it is dangerous to simply name the name of Jesus. Be with our brothers and sisters where they are. We thank you again for your love and the privilege of loving others in your name. Amen.